Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for our special and final episode of 2023. And Mike, we did secure a big time guest to uh, wrap up the season. Yeah, not that we couldn't have finished 2023, just the two of us. I feel like it's uh, for our listeners, our regular listeners, they might be like, hey, where have Ben and Mike been? But, you know, just (laughs) family time and holiday time. And we hope you've all had a good one um, as well. But uh, we did manage to secure a great guest to cap off 2023. And he is the highest ranked Canadian player in singles. And that is none other than Felix Auger Aliasim. And wonderful to have him back on the podcast. Ben, you got to speak with him one-on-one. And uh, I really couldn't have thought of a a better person to have on to cap the year off, not just because of his tennis accomplishments, but of course, some recent accomplishments off court as well that he was honored with. Yeah, specifically the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award. And uh, what a a great honor to receive for uh, his FAA Points for Change campaign and some of the great work he's done in Togo, which is his father's native country. And uh, seeing him win that award actually reminded me of Malave Washington, uh, our interview with him earlier in the season, because he won that award back in the 1990s. And he talked about how proud he was uh, to achieve that and uh, setting up a great foundation. And look, I mean, we've spoken about it time and time again, how just good of a guy Felix is off the court. We know he's a great player, uh, but I really think he's a, a humble and special person and just like a really, really good character quality human being so to to speak and discuss like a big honor with him uh with him is great and and considering what he's accomplished and and how he handles himself off court and the fact that he's got this you know foundation and charity work uh, that he's already had established for for a little while by the age of 23 to me is so impressive like he just strikes me as a young man who has life figured out you know so so early on i think of what i was like at 23 i don't know what you were like in 23 but like my god i couldn't have i could barely get out of bed and make breakfast you know what i mean so it's um <laughs> just so impressive to see what he's been able to do and and that he wants to do it and uh, he's not doing it for the awards or the accolades um you know small spoiler alert but he didn't even realize you know that this was an award this humanitarian award truly from the the atp in in that sense or that it was out there for him to potentially you know win i guess at this stage of his career so um, I, I can't wait to see what more he does between now and, and when he hangs up the racket with his fame far more than most tennis players do. Not that he's the only one out there doing good deeds, but, um, you know, and certainly on the Canadian side of things, I think leading the charge in that sense and hopefully something that younger players who are coming up, you know, Gabriel Diallo, um, uh, players like that, uh, kind of look to him and say, yeah, it's not just about what I'm doing point to point or tournament to tournament, but what else can I do with whatever fame maybe I've achieved at this point? Yeah, that's that's well said. And I, I think our Canadians have been great in that sense in, in giving back. We know what Dennis Shapovalov has done with animal shelters, Bianca Andrescu, Leila Fernandez. They've been involved in campaigns and it's fantastic to see, you know, as we have this episode and after I play the Felix interview, we'll do a 2023 recap. Uh, but we're right on the precipice of 2024, which is just incredible how quick the turnaround is uh, for the new tennis season. We have the United Cup opening. We have Brisbane. Uh, the action is about to get underway in Australia. But uh, before we get to all of that, here is my interview with Canadian tennis player Felix Auger Aliassime. 
You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And this week, very happy to welcome on our top-ranked Canadian singles player. He's a five-time titleist on the ATP Tour, a Davis Cup and ATP Cup champion, U.S. Open semifinalist, and most recently, the winner of the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award. Thrilled to have Felix Ojealiasim back on the podcast. Felix, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, now, after another... Long calendar season on the tennis circuit. Uh, you know, you wrapped up Davis Cup. Um, did you give yourself a little bit of time off? And and if so, what what do you like to do to kind of unwind um, in, in the off season of tennis, which is a short one, obviously? Yeah. Yeah, it's a short one. We kind of, I kind of approach my seasons or my years through, um, you know, through this career kind of just as a continuation of, you know, staying fit, staying ready. So you don't have to get ready too much. And, and, you know, I'm not a fan of taking too much time off. So you have to like train for weeks to get back into your game shape um, because there's always important tournaments around the corner. And then, um, but I, I, I did have to take some time off after Davis cup to heal my knee, um, which I've been struggling with during the year. So I did the right uh, procedures with my knee uh, with my team, the doctors, everybody was of a great help to uh, help me heal. Also, the the, the, the staff uh, during Davis Cup were helping me out during my recovery as I wasn't playing. So it was really a good period overall for me to to get in better shape. And and then I've been practicing the last few weeks, kind of getting uh yeah getting back on the court, getting back into you know game shape and 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 looking forward to to the start of next year because. I think it's going to be an important one for me to get back to to where I want to be, you know. Yeah, and I, I think if we talk about 2023, I, I know you set a, a high standard for yourself and, and maybe this season wasn't as successful as you would have liked. What was maybe the most challenging part about this year? And, and what are some positives, though, that you think you can take away from it going into 2024? Well, the injury started early in the year in uh, February uh last year and then i don't think we dealt as a team i can talk to my team i don't think we dealt with it in the best way possible meaning that i think i came back too early to competition and i came back when i wasn't completely fit or ready to compete which uh yeah it wasn't good for me it wasn't good for my confidence wasn't good for you know my respect towards my competitors like of how I'm I'm perceived on the tour. You kind of start losing matches and matches and matches, losing early against lower ranked opponents. And it feels like, okay, like he's not the player he used to be in a, in a way, or like he's he's not like as good as he was in 2022. But I felt the same. It's just that, you know, my movement started going down, my serve started going down. So those are the things that were tough to deal with this year that I didn't do well. And then the positive was just to come back in the end after a tough year to win a title again. I think, you know, to to be an ATP final every year since I'm not 18 years old to now two years in a row get at least one title it's positive things you know just to think at the end of the day uh, I want to be a consistent player I want to win tournaments I want to you know I want to I want to have respect for my peers that I'm I'm a good player and and like you said at the beginning I'm not of course happy with how things went this year but I always compare myself to the 
to the better players, to to the best of the best. And, you know, I always aim high and I don't look down and say, oh, well, I'm better than some other players. I know that, but I'm always comparing myself to the to the best ones. Um, yeah. In uh, 2021, uh, you and I spoke in your offseason, and you said after each year, you and your team have kind of a sit-down and evaluation and, and talk about uh, what what worked in the season and, and what areas you're looking to improve. Did you do that this time around again? And, and what are maybe the key areas you're looking to improve upon in your game for the upcoming season? Yeah, we do that every year, and sometimes we do it throughout the year. It's a constant adjustment. but. Um, for me, it's the same thing every year. Uh, I have, I have weapons. I have strength in my games that I want to consolidate. That I know will make me win the biggest tournaments. I want to win my serve, my forehand. Those are the, I think, the things that I want to keep on doing well, and that will get me, um, you know, will bring me a lot of easy points, and will, will, will be my strength throughout my career. But. Um, I want to improve uh, the return and the, the back end. Those are areas that um, I know I can improve. I feel that I can do better, that I can have better consistency, precision, power. So uh, those are the things I'm kind of working on. And then overall, just just becoming a smarter player as years go by, making the right adjustments throughout the matches, learning how to navigate through tougher matches when I'm not playing so well. So. Um, because there's going to be many of those during my career. So if I can win more than I lose those type of matches, it'll be positive. So that's kind of, um, you know, what we've been talking about. But also the main thing was just physically to get back to to a good place and to be the player that I was always, you know, explosive, moving well on the court, being able to, to come forward quickly, but also to defend. So there's also an area we focused on. You know, we often focus on accolades from tennis players on the court, obviously, titles, ranking, those those types of things. What does it mean to you maybe to to win a humanitarian award and, and be acknowledged for from some of your actions off the court? I mean, it's you don't you know never do it for that. I mean, I never I didn't even know like that was an award they had, to be honest, uh, and ATP awards. Um that so I was happy to that you know this was recognized or that like I mean it's a it's flattering to recognize not only the player you are but the person and what you try to do off the court you know, which is another sphere of my career it's, it's one that I don't I don't give as much time as I'm gonna do in the future after my career I think I'm gonna be able when I play less tennis to focus more my time energy money towards doing other things like that. Um, but for now, the main focus still remains the tennis. But it's still very, very nice uh, to, to receive that and hopefully can also inspire others to 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 want to help in the way they can. Um, and, you know, even though, you know, it's an ATP award, uh, I'm not receiving, you know, a humanitarian award from, uh, let's say, the United Nations, that would be that would be a bigger deal. But uh, there's a lot of uh, people doing amazing things out there. So I try also myself to inspire my actions with with people that have done amazing things throughout the decades. And you know Arthur Ashe being one of them, um, but also many other people today, actors, artists, athletes, people that you know 
they have they're successful and they're giving back in the community so inspire also to see that well you're incredibly humble and selfless and uh, i think those are a couple of the traits that a lot of canadian fans really love about you um could you talk maybe just a moment about faa points for change and Maybe talk about what that experience was like for you uh, last December when you did visit Togo, your your father's native country, and and how maybe that yeah. impacted you. Yeah, it was a beautiful trip. Um, I didn't get a chance to go when the project started when I launched FA Points for Change uh, because of COVID reasons. Um, so it was really the first time that I was able to go last year, and yeah, it was great to see what the project did because the goal was really to have an impact on the with the points that I won every match, I was getting $5 in BNB Paribas, which is, I can thank them again here on, on the podcast, but they've, they've been a great help. Um, their trip, you know, they've tripled my, my money over the years. Uh, so giving $15 every point that I, that I win. Um, so we've been actually able to have a real impact on some elementary schools in the region of Kara and Togo, north of Togo. Um, also an orphanage, giving kids opportunity. I mean, that they've gone, they've gone through terrible things in life, really tough, tough family tragedies or situations and giving them a home in this, in this uh, orphanage that we've helped. Um, and also some, I guess, teenagers, young adults that were kind of going in the wrong direction, going and quitting school and also had tough family situations. The project and the, the humanitarian organization that we worked we were working with um on the grounds were kind of like pointing out these kind of people and 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 then money or the help was going towards them the ones that were the most in need so it was it was incredible to meet because you see the numbers you see like uh feedbacks that they give you but to go on the ground and actually meet i'm going to give you one example like you meet mm -hmm. an 18 year old girl and she's telling you her story and she's telling like she's saying well thanks for your help because that put me back on the right track. And now I'm like learning how to sew and I'm going to get my diploma like of sewing and I'm going to make dresses and skirts and clothes for my family. And I'm going to be able also to like start selling those and maybe make a living. It's little things, but like for them there, it's, it's huge. It's huge because this, this girl could have been going to traveling to a different country and end up doing God knows what, you know? So, um, it's great it was great to see these people in person and actually talk with them of their you know real experience and and it, it gave me more will and more uh envy or like i don't, I don't know how to say but like mm -hmm. it gave me uh even more will to, to keep on helping them and make actually like a, a even better impact in the future oh well thanks so much for for sharing kind of that beautiful experience i hope you get an opportunity again to to go back soon um just a couple we'll more do, questions we'll for you uh if we just look ahead here to 2024 with australian open around the corner what are some of your goals maybe for the upcoming season individually like every year is just to win as much as i can um i know that you know there's players that have gone up in the rankings, uh, young players, Carlos, Sinner, these guys, and and Novak that's still there. And, you know, as of today, they're, they're better players than me. That's just a reality. But uh, I've always had, I think, a huge amount of trust and confidence in myself and belief. And I don't need to talk too much. I'd rather just go and play and, and see how it goes. But, of course, the 
the objective or the goal is to be in the conversation. You know, at the end of the day, there's too many good players nowadays that you can say, you know, you're gonna you're just gonna win every single match or you're gonna win every single tournament. But it's just to be in a conversation that when the big tournaments come around or when the, you know, at the end of the day, when when you look at the rankings, you're like in the conversations of of some of the good players that year. So th- I want to get back to that place. I believe I can do it. So this is really the goal coming into the next year is just to to get back into those, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and stages of, of big tournaments. I, I know I've heard you say before uh, that you like to let your game do the talking, uh, which I, I think you've just summarized there, which which is great. My, my last question for you, one impressive achievement you have, actually, you're really only... Uh, one of a small handful of current players to have recorded wins over all of the big three, Novak, Rafa, Federer, who's now retired. And, you know, as you mentioned, we see Djokovic here still continuing to dominate this sport, winning three slams in 2023. Nadal is set to come back. What do you think it is in particular about those three players, especially Djokovic now, that they're doing maybe a little bit better than than the rest of the tour. And and how do your how do you and your colleagues uh, challenge and and continue to push him? Well, if you look at Djokovic, for me, um, he really doesn't have weaknesses in his game. Like there's there's even guys like Medvedev who is you know, number three in the world. He had an amazing start of the year this year. But maybe there's areas that he's not as comfortable with on the court that some players can exploit. I haven't been able to. I uh, was close to a bit winning against him, but I always lost, for example. But Novak is one of those guys that when you look at him, like, where are you going to play? You know, like, and his serve has improved so much through his career that it's also a big weapon now. So he has that. And then mentally and physically, he has all the qualities like physically he's an unbelievable athlete covers the course so well um but then mentally also you just i can put nadal in that same conversation they the level of focus they bring every match every practice the uh the the level of uh precision and like they're so demanding with themselves you know and i i i i look to do that also in my career and i take a lot of inspiration from that but I think they've been able to, throughout the years, for me to master that that level of focus and and will every match. You know, there's there's just they're able to win matches that they probably shouldn't win, that they're not even playing that well, but somehow they win. That that makes a huge difference in a career. Um, you know, so I think outside of the game, mentally, these guys are on another level. Well, I, I promise you a lot of Canadian fans uh, take a lot of inspiration from watching you, the way you compete on court and the way you carry yourself uh, off the court. Uh, so, Felix, thanks so much for, for your time here as uh, you get Thank set you. for the new season. We'd love to have another chat with you. Maybe in your off season next year, we could we could make it a an annual ritual. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool no with worries. you. Right. <laughs> okay. Happy holidays to, uh, to you. Thank you. Yeah. Happy holidays to you and yours and, and uh, good luck in Thank the new you. year. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to everybody listening. And I'm looking forward to get back on the court next year and and to have also good moments in front of fans and, you know, to give that that joy that I've been able to give over the last few years, winning big matches. And and I, I'm really looking forward to that and, and to watch, you know, messages and read messages of encouragement. So it always, um, you know, it always means a lot. So... I look forward to that next year as well.
And there you have it, my conversation with Felix Oje Aliasim, who, you know, he knows that 2023 was a disappointing season uh, from certainly his lofty standards. He's acknowledged, I, I like the fact that he was sort of acknowledging some of these players who have pushed up like your Holger Runas and of course Alcaraz surging in that generation, just sort of acknowledging right now these guys are better than me. So it's sort of up to me to, to rise to the occasion. Uh, I, I really think 2024 could be a big time turnaround for him. Well, he's got basically all season to just do better than 2023. He, he's got most of this coming season where yeah. anything he does beyond a first or second round is going to be a bonus for him uh, because of the the struggles that that he that he had. And I appreciated the honesty. I mean, he was really looking himself in the mirror as he spoke with you and and calling himself out for for being able to do better uh, while also revealing that that knee injury that he sustained back in the clay court season really messed with his entire year. Uh, I mean, the yeah. fact that it's what kept him off from Davis Cup and being able to participate against Finland, we knew there was an injury. I didn't realize it was still the knee that had troubled him earlier in the season. So to me, that's a little bit concerning, to be perfectly honest, that it was still lingering at that point of the year. I hope with the short off season and now coming out of the gates with the Australian swing and and playing the United Cup, hopefully for, for Canada, that he's 100% healthy because you wouldn't want to start a new season being anything less, ideally. Um, but but I did appreciate his honesty that even when he was healthy, you know, he said it, as of today, they're better players than me, and that's just a reality. And so he wasn't mincing words, and he knows that Sinner and Alcaraz, who were younger than him, have leapfrogged him, in a sense. And he said he wants to get back into conversation, and, um, and I feel that the hunger and the desire is there. And look, as several of our guests told us this past season, he's too good not to get back to that kind of level. Yeah. And, and look, when, when you're trying to play through an injury and you, you don't really get that proper time off and proper rest, and then the losses start to build, build up that, that really does mess with your confidence. So then it's kind of lingering in the back of your mind. Wow. I need a match win. I really need to string some wins together and it can really bottle up and set you back. And that's uh, certainly, I think what happened um, through the grass court and then summer um, hard court season where he really, really struggled. We saw that disappointment in Toronto where he really badly wanted to turn his season around there. He he pointed out, this is when I can get my season on track. Didn't happen. But for me, he really salvaged the year by winning Basel on the indoor season. And that saved him 500 ranking points. And that means he is going to get to be seated when we get to the Australian Open, uh, holding his ranking right now at number 29, which is huge. And uh, he'll be competing at United Cup, which we will talk about. Uh, I wanted to discuss, as we look back at 2023, maybe some of our best Canadian moments. Uh, I, I know now that we have such strong stand standards for how well our players have performed in the past few years that some people will look at this as a disappointing one, but there were still like some big time highlights. Uh, what's your number one? Uh, ooh, number one. Okay. I got a list of a few here. I didn't think of what the order was, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because we went through a lot of the year, I think being um, kind of critical of how the Canadian players were performing and, yeah, you know, as, as, as biased as we are in some ways being the tennis Canada podcast and being Canadian tennis journalists and, covering these players since they were, you know, such a young age, wanting them to succeed on, on some level, because we know them and we want the best for them. And let's be honest, we think they're all a great group of men and women that are representing our country on the court throughout the season. Uh, but the season started with a lot of struggles. I mean, in terms of grand slams and singles, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. 
Um, but some of the things that I've penciled in, uh, I mean, Billie Jean King Cup, I think that's got to be number one. Um, I think it's hard to argue against that in terms of just the biggest piece of hardware that, that we brought home this year. Gabby Dabrowski winning the U.S. Open doubles with Aaron Routliff, that was pretty huge as well. But I think Billie Jean King trumps that because it's it's the team, it's our country overall as a whole. And right now and for the next year, you know, we are the best women's tennis nation um, on the planet. So to me, that is um, is going to be tough to to beat. Uh, but certainly Gabby's result at the U.S. Open and and seeing Milos come back and being able to be healthy and compete again on the ETP Tour, you know, those are maybe two and three for me um, on my shortlist. Yeah, I, I have Canada winning Billie Jean King Cup as my number one as well. Uh, so many storylines within that title too. Marina Stakusic, the way she stepped up, um, not only getting the nod to be on the team to begin with, we just didn't think she would even receive receive the call to play in so many big matches. So that was really her breakout moment as an athlete, and I think it's going to set her up tremendously. Uh, is there, is there anyone, career. sorry to interrupt, is there anyone you're more excited to see what they can do to follow up you know, than Marina Stakushik because she's at the top of my list in terms of what comes next. Oh, no kidding. Absolutely. Uh, especially when it comes to the Canadians right now. Uh, I mean, her her ceiling, I think, is so incredibly high. And, and now we're about to see her basically embark on her full first season as, as a pro. And the fact that she missed, what, almost half a year last year dealing with an injury before she actually returned. And then she's dominating the ITF circuit, uh, playing so phenomenally well. We, we see her dominate at the Tevlin Challenger in Toronto and then carries that over to really help push Canada uh, over the finish line in Billie Jean King Cup. And the reason I rank that as number one, Gabby Dabrowski, incredible for she and Aaron Routliff to, to win the U.S. Open title. But the fact that Gabby is also a part of that Billie Jean King Cup win uh, for me uh, makes it number one. And Layla Fernandez was just incredible that ent- uh, entire tournament as the MVP. My number three on the list, by the way, is uh, Felix Ogialiasim winning Basel. Um, it, it was the biggest ATP, actually the only ATP title uh, of the season that we had on the men's side for the ATP tour. We had some challenger wins, but him just notching a title. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it, it felt like he was really, really struggling. We thought we, we might see an early round exit again and suddenly him completely plummeting in the rankings. So he saved his season with that tournament there. And then I had Milos's uh, Milos's run in Toronto as, as number four, uh, because that was so special, especially that night match against Francis Tiafo. And I put number five, by the way, Bianca Andrescu going toe-to-toe with Anzibur on center court in the third round of Wimbledon, uh, losing in the third set. But that, to me, was, you know, the... Bianca, we were accustomed to seeing back in 2019, and she looked like a top 10 player in that match. So there, there's my top five, at least. That's great. That's solid. And a lot of repetition between us. And I think to our listeners and Canadian tennis fans, I mean, some of them are obvious, um, but uh, I'm sure many of those will be on your list too, uh, listening at home. I, I get kind of sad talking about Bianca because here we are at the start of the season and, you know, what's the the topic of conversation surrounding her? It's an injury still. And the one that she sustained last summer in um, well, was it what just at the end of Montreal, I guess, and her loss to Camila Georgi, I suppose, because yeah, and I even think that was a that. I even think that was a carryover from I believe she was dealing with the back even in Washington. So okay, and I remember it, yeah, it just hasn't got right. It, it was yeah. tried to be sold on us as like um, what would they say like a, a small fracture in her back or something like that, and mm-hmm. it's like, gosh, when you're dealing with the back, is there anything that you can label as small? And here we are months later, 
and physically she's not able to start the season and is talking about how she hasn't even gotten on court to practice or hold a racket and play whatsoever and is aiming for Indian Wells, which is in March. So to me, that's quite concerning. And I just feel a little bit down when I think about Bianca now, because I wonder realistically how the heck she's going to make a, a long career out of things the way the first few years have, have unfortunately gone for her as a pro. Yeah, it's been incredibly difficult with injuries. And, uh, you know, it's we, we got that earlier in 2023 in Miami, that horrible fall where it was a couple torn ligaments and she was looked howling so on the court in pain. That looked horrible. I was, you know, stunned how quickly she returned from that and actually managed a clay season and managed the grass court season and thought maybe she could piece together a reasonably healthy season. But uh, we know she's dealt with back issues dating back to being a junior. So this is an ongoing concern that uh, she's really she and her team are really going to have to figure out if she's going to have longevity in this career because tennis is a brutal, unforgiving sport physically. Um, and, and you really have to figure out how to manage it week to week and last on the tour. So that's going to be a big challenge. Look, there are a lot of challenges for Canada in general in 2023, which which we can speak about. I mean, beyond Bianca's injuries, Felix's injuries, we didn't see Denis Shapovalov play after Wimbledon. Injuries all over the place, really, for Canada. It was a crummy year. You know, if it, if it was a team and they all had the same physio or trainer, people would be like, well, what's this person doing? But of course, it's just a coincidence <laughs> because yeah. they all have different coaches and trainers and physios and whatnot. But collectively, uh, a season to forget in terms of being able to stay healthy, um, for sure. And if you look at the Grand Slam results, which is, let's be honest, where we all want to see the Canadians kind of break through and have a moment like Bianca or Leilani Fernandez uh, and nothing. Uh, nobody made it past the fourth round in singles play. Uh, Felix won fourth round at the Aussie Open, first round the rest of the year. Dennis, fourth round at Wimbledon, but as you mentioned, didn't really play after that. Uh, Bianca's now gone 10 slams since her win in 2019 at the US Open without making the quarters of a major. And Leila Annie didn't make it past the second round either last year. So again, thank God for the team competition and how that came through at the end of the season. It gave us a huge positive showing what these players can do when they're together. Now they've got to go out and show that they can do it as, as individuals as well. Yeah. And look at the door is going to be open. I think for a lot of opportunity for this season, if we have health, especially I think for Layla, Annie Fernandez, who had some, I think quite bad draw luck through a lot of 2023, but I found like she, I felt like she really hit her stride towards the end of this season. I'm expecting uh, some big things from her in 2024. And, uh, you know, Dennis is training again. I I think he's going to play the Australian Open. I'm not sure if he's going to get a tune-up event before that. He hasn't signed up for anything. Uh, But if he's healthy and feeling good, we know how dangerous he can definitely be. If we look back on... Oh, sorry, before we we move ahead past the Canadians here, I just want to say also about uh, Raonic because uh, we had him as our guest last week on the podcast. And so what a great back-to-back with Milos and then Felix this week. I had the one, you had the other. That was great for both of us. And for Milos, who's been, you know, very kind to the podcast in terms of giving us time. I touched base with him towards the end of the year, said, hey... I know you're busy training and whatnot. It's the off-season family time. Do you have maybe 10, 15 minutes we could chat for a quick year-ender? And he's like, hey, let's do a half hour and was very generous with his time once again. The thing that intrigued me the most of that conversation is that he does plan on playing on clay this season, uh, which you and I have openly sort of wondered if we'd ever see him on the surface again. He's mentioned in the past to us that it's not the greatest um, surface for his physical well-being but that he wants to qualify for the Paris Olympics. Um, 
And so that would really be something given his two years away from the sport, if he could somehow achieve that goal and represent Canada at the Olympics. Now each country can qualify six players per gender, uh, up to four players for singles, two entries in, in doubles draw one in the mixed doubles. Uh, and so he's got to be one of the four best ranked players in the country in singles. He's got till June 10th to get his ranking up from right now. It's like 300 and something currently ranked number seven for the Canadian men. But look, let's be honest, aside from Felix, everyone else is outside the top 100 now. So I think the sky's the limit for Milos coming back, playing hopefully a string of tournaments early in the year, as he mentioned to me in the interview last week. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very realistic possibility for him to make the Olympics if he can stay healthy. Oh, no, no doubt about it. If he, if he is healthy with that serve as a, a big weapon, the way we saw him play in Toronto, even the way he played in Davis Cup, uh, getting Canada an opening singles win, uh, I, I certainly think he's one of the four best men's Canadian tennis players, without a doubt. I, I, I think if Dennis is healthy, of course, he should be among that top four and probably top two. You'd think out of the Canadian guys off the top of my head, you would think it's going to be Felix, Dennis, maybe Gabriel Diallo and a healthy Milos if he's there. Uh, I suppose Alexi Gallardo could have a, have a great season. We don't we don't know, but uh, definitely the opportunity is there. And the biggest question mark is health, as it always has been for the, the bulk of his career. Yeah, and uh, in terms of doubles entries, I mean, we got Gabby Dabrowski, we got Vashik, who we hope can get healthy this year. And, yeah. uh, you know, Canada could make some noise at the Olympics uh, as a as a squad. Uh, as well as we've seen how well they've done in Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup. And uh, I'd really like to see Milos, you know, make that because let's be honest, it'll be the last Olympic Games that he realistically will will have a shot at at his age. He just turned 33 today mm -hmm. as we're recording this actually on his birthday. So happy birthday out there, Milos. Um, but uh, yeah, another uh, another Canadian to keep an eye on this year. And And I think we're really thinking in the early parts of this season, there can only be improvement from what we saw a year ago. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. If we look back on 2023, this feels pretty obvious, but player of the year picks, and we will start on the men's side. Mike, dare you pick anybody other than the current world number one for player of the year? Yes, for me, it's Carlos. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> it's obviously Novak Djokovic. Although what's funny is if you go back to the first few months of 2023, it was quite a back and forth between Novak and Carlos Alcaraz, and they traded yep. that number one ranking so many times, even though they weren't playing each other early in the year. And then when they did start playing each other, it was absolute fire from that semifinal at Roland Garros to the epic win for Alcaraz at Wimbledon to Novak bouncing back and, and taking that great final in Cincinnati. And um, obviously nobody can go against Novak Djokovic as player of the year. He made all four slam finals winning three of them, coming so close at Wimbledon to making it for ATP final. Um, I mean, what did the regaining the number one ranking, finishing number one for what was it, a, a seventh or eighth consecutive year? I mean, mm -hmm. his records are so mind-boggling now, I can't even keep track of them. It's uh, it's just so incredible. Yeah, I, I think um, if I look at Novak's season, three of four slams and in the finals of all four and then finishing with the end of your title, the huge win in Cincinnati, which I think that was probably the best ATP match of the season against Alcaraz, that incredible three-set battle, which lasted, you know, okay. three hours, 40 minutes, just unbelievable tennis. Really, there was only like one let-up in the season for Novak Djokovic, and I think it can be pretty forgiven that he was probably pretty exhausted going over to Davis Cup after winning Turin 
and Serbia falling to Italy. He had that opportunity to beat Yannick Sinner in that semifinal singles match. Sinner saves the three match points on his serve, comes back, wins it in that third set, and then they lose the doubles. Italy goes on to win Davis Cup. That was really the only, like, you know, uh, perceived letdown of his entire season, I would say. And yeah. I probably agree. And what this. a letdown. I mean, how many players would love to be able to push Sinner and, and have a match like that in Davis Cup, right? Like, it wasn't exactly. like he went out <laughs> like he went out in straight sets, you know? it's No, um, no, yeah. uh, not at all. And Sinner just took it, so credit to him. But I, I'd probably grade it as the third best season of his career with uh, 2011 and 2015 as, as my top two. So and he's he obviously... Keep, and he just wants to keep going. I read today that he wants to play past 40 and do like a Tom Brady in tennis, <laughs> yeah. something that he said. He made a comparison with Tom Brady, who played to what forty six or something. So, um, my goodness, we're we're not going to get rid of him anytime soon. Not that we're trying to, but this is what the other players must be thinking when they when they hear that. Like, oh crap, we got to deal with him for another like four or five years. Are you kidding me? And there's there's been no physical let up whatsoever. It's it's been simply unbelievable. Uh, if we jump, I, I will give an honorable mention season, by the way, to Danil Medvedev. I thought he had a really fantastic year, actually. Wins a Masters 1000 on clay. He was in the finals of the US Open after that unbelievable semifinal win over Cal Carlos Alcaraz. He had that stretch where he won 20 plus matches in a row, like he won three titles in a row in the kind of early hardcore season point with Rotterdam, Qatar, Dubai, really fantastic season uh, from the Russian. And he was just kind of blocked by Novak in that U.S. Open final. It's like you play the match of your life to beat Alcaraz in the semis. What's your reward? Oh, I got to face Novak in the final. How do you overcome that? And, and another huge accomplishment of Medvedev's that you somehow overlooked was the fact that he was the highest ranked singles player that was a guest on Matchpoint Canada in 2023. Very nice point. Very, very good point. Um, best player of the year on the women's side. I'll go ahead and you go uh, first just, this time. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll just go ahead and, I mean, it has to be Iga Swiatek in my eyes. I, I mean, it, the number one ranking did change at a point. Arita Sabalenka took hold of it for a portion. Coco Goff, no doubt, had the best season of her career and picked up her maiden slam. Look, Iga only won one slam, but for me, she was just the most dominant player uh, across the entire calendar year, and she still picked up six titles. Uh, she was in eight finals, and then, I mean, what really capped it and for me kind of sealed the player of the year nod is winning the WTA finals to, to close out her season. I still think she is the best women's player in the world and you know when Goff or Sabalenka Goff finally getting her first career win over her head to head Goff kind of had to play the match of her life Sabalenka Rybakina these players can do it Ostapenko's 4-0 against her <laughs> there are certain players who trouble Iga but it always feels like Spiontek is the one being chased by the rest of the tour and seems to have not a stranglehold but just a notch above uh, the rest of the women's game yeah, we had to think about this one definitely harder than we did on the men's side in terms of our pick for player of the year. Um, but for for Iga, it was, yeah, definitely the way that she closed out the season. And I mean, I don't buy into this. There's a big three on the women's side. I think, you know, to make any comparison to a big three, you got to have multiple slams for each of the players involved. Mm -hmm. Definitely it was closer at the start of 2023. Uh, but Iga finished, despite just a ranking lead of 245 points, over the number two spot, uh, it was her end of the year where she just destroyed at the WTA finals. Uh, yeah, Coco was great. Coco had a great finish to the season, went 51 and 16 overall. She's only 19 years old and she won DC and Cincy and then her home country slam at the U.S. Open. 
but the way Iga beat her handily in their last two events of the year, one was during the Asian swing and one, of course, at the WTA finals. To me, that solidified that uh, the Iga was the player of the year for the women. Well said. Um, I want to do a little prediction game. Uh, a player or two players who will crack the top 10 for the first time in 2024, if you have two, maybe you only have one. We'll start on the men's side. You can lead. Ben Shelton. Wow, I, I thought we might uh <laughs> I thought we might overlap on this one. But I'm I bet you we've overlapped on both. No, did you not pick Shelton? Oh I did. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So like look, he's already number seventeen, so this isn't like a huge, you know, it's not like we're really going out on a limb. But uh when you think about the the amount of points that he's gonna be able to collect this year between the Aussie Open and the US Open, which were his two big money makers and ranking point uh, you know, wins of of twenty twenty three. He's got so much room to add points. It would almost be impossible for him not to make the top 10, I feel. Yeah, uh, it's going to be an incredible opportunity, I think, this season. Really, it's just backing up those two slam results. And it's conceivable he could make the quarterfinals or better at the Australian Open. I wouldn't be shocked with that serve and that explosive game. We'll see how he looks in the first week of the season, but I think he's one of the most dangerous, exciting young players on the tour. The other wild card I just circled here, and health, I think, is the key for him. He's incredibly talented. Also American is Sebastian Corda, and I feel like he kind of just suffered a setback um, due to injury. Uh, from 2023 because he was playing great at the beginning of the season. He was in the finals of Adelaide and nearly beat Novak Djokovic. He beat Medvedev at the Australian Open, had that big upset, and then was in the quarterfinals and then had a wrist injury. And that kept him out for, you know, three-plus months. Uh, so he kind of lost his entire clay court season, basically. Uh, he still played pretty well on grass before going out first round at Wimbledon, which was a disappointment. And then I just I felt like his health sort of let him down. But if, if in terms of um, baseline game from the back of the court, such smooth, fluid, amazing ground strokes. I think he has all the weapons in his in his arsenal to make top ten. Yeah, a good secondary pick as well. And I wonder if we look at the women's side, who we think could crack the top ten for the first. I bet you we've got the same player too, which means you and me are really going to have to have these conversations before <laughs> before we hit record in the future to give our listeners just a little bit more variety. Uh, because I went with, and I, I'm almost certain you went with her too, uh, Kinwin Zheng. Yeah. Yeah, I went with Jang as well. Uh, there you go. So, <laughs> after right, I typed her name, I know. Go ahead. You knew I was going to do it too, right? I talk about her all the time. <laughs> and and currently she's number 15. So again, it's not going to be a huge leap, but uh, she's made huge gains the last couple of seasons. Only 21 years old. Seems more and more confident uh, as she goes along. Won a title in China in the fall where she beat uh, Barbara Karchikova in the finals and took out Zachary earlier in that event as well. She won in Palermo on clay so she could do it on multiple surfaces. Uh, she started 2023 just inside the top 30. I think she's going to finish 2024 inside the top 10. And, um, you know, we spoke to her agent, Mar Marin uh, Ball, this summer in Toronto. And he kind of alluded to the fact, like, keep an eye on her because big things are coming. Yeah, look, you, you said it. I mean, beyond the fact that we both see how incredibly talented and skilled she is and have both been very high on her the fact that she was so close to the top 10 starting the season 15 and i, I still think there's so much opportunity for her to grow uh and, and get better and better that was essentially why i had to pick her to, to crack the top 10 i want to throw in an honorable mention pick this isn't cracking the top 10 for the first time but it will be Re maybe returning. it's not even returning to the top 10 and maybe this isn't a bold prediction honestly is it, I think, is it Naomi Osaka 
Maybe I should. Or would that be, or would that be a bold prediction? We'll talk about that later. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I should have gone with Naomi. No, my pick to return to the top ten actually, Alina Svitolina. Uh, look at her slam results and the way she played at the French Open and Wimbledon, and how well she's playing since returning to the tour uh, post-pregnancy, winning her 17th WTA title. And she was such a mainstay, not just in the top 10 of the tour, uh, but she was in the top five for a long time as well. One of the most consistent women's players uh, for about a three, four year period there. Um, you know, from kind of 2017 through 2020. So I, I think she can certainly get back in the top 10. Remember, she didn't start her season, I think, until about April. So a lot of months to to collect points here at the start of the season. She could be very dangerous. I was just thinking about Alina Svitolina the other day. Actually, I was in New York not quite two weeks ago, uh, touring around and reminded me of my very first like one-on-one top 10 player interview I had, which was with her back in 2018 as she was playing a tiebreak 10s event at Madison Square Gardens. And I just thought, well, that was special for me also at the time. But what a season, what a return season she had coming back from giving birth with all that's happening in her home country and all the emotion behind that. Um, you know, there are few players I'm rooting harder for right now than, than Svitolina to do just what you've proposed. Yeah, that, that's well said. Uh, we should look ahead quickly here to 2024 as we wrap up. United Cup is coming and Canada is in the event. They're going to compete in a group alongside Greece and Chile. And they're sending Felix Ojealiasim, Leila Fernandez as the top two. Stacey Fung, Steven Diaz also available off the bench, but it, it really will be about Felix and Leila. And the danger team here, of course, it's it's Greece, who has Stefano Tsitsipas and Maria Sakkari. I must say, I'd be very excited to watch a Leila Sakkari matchup. And Felix and Stefanos have had quite a rivalry over the past few years. They always have great clashes as well. So this is a fantastic matchup. And then Chile, to me, is kind of the wild card. I'm going to watch this event. I mean, I probably wouldn't have if Canada wasn't there. Uh, but I always like the Hopman Cup at the start of the year, and this kind of yep. has Hopman Cup vibes, except the, are there points in this or not? I forget. Are there, there are points, points. yeah. The yeah, most you so, can get is 500, yep. Okay, so that makes it a little bit more you know, legitimate. And the fact that we've got Layla Annie and Felix there, our two top singles threats, I think is terrific. That makes it exciting too. I'm happy to see those two up against any country's top two, and you know it's going to be at least competitive or should be. Um, so I, I like having an event like this to start the season. Uh, ATP Cup didn't last too long, but I like the fact that there's a joining of the men, men and the women. We don't see it nearly enough. Maybe there'll be more discussion this year about finally merging the two tours into one super tour. Maybe that's something that we're getting closer to seeing, and I would certainly be for it. Um, both entities seem kind of inept in terms of managing themselves mm-hmm. separately. So maybe if you put them together, we can get something a little bit better out there to promote and support the players is, is really what I'm I'm getting at when I say that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 18 countries, which is really cool. They're all going to start in groups of three. Watch for Poland, by the way. Iga Sviantek, Hubert Hercatch. That is a very dangerous combination. That's where Novak Djokovic is also starting his season. Uh, starting his season in Brisbane and returning to the tour after basically a year-long layoff after losing in the second round of the Australian Open, Rafael Nadal making his return. If we ask the question, what are your expectations for Rafa in 2024 or starting here, at least in Brisbane? Well, here, let me ask you this first. It just popped in my head. Between Nadal and Osaka, which one has a better chance at winning a major in 2024? That is a really good question. That is a very good question, actually. I'll let you think about it one more second because it just popped 
question in my mind mm-hmm. and I answered it myself. So I'll share that answer now. But I think Osaka, I think I give her a better chance. Uh, and I think maybe later in the season, maybe like a U.S. Open where she's won twice before. Yeah, I, I just think with Rafa that um, boy Alcaraz looks just so good. And Djokovic hasn't given at all. And Nadal hasn't played in so long. I just feel like nobody's been just stepping back, waiting for him to return. He's really going to have to go out there and produce something almost as special as we've ever seen for him to come back after this layoff at his age and and win a slam. And if he does, it's it's going to be in Paris. I don't see it happening anywhere else. I will uh, take the other answer and give a slight. I, I would definitely pick if Naomi's going to win a slam this season. I would also pick the U.S. Open. I'm right there with you. Just the fact that he's won it what 14 times. Uh, Rafael Nadal can win uh-huh. the French Open again. I'm not saying he will win it again, but if he is healthy when he's arriving to Paris at Roland Garros, he definitely can win it again. And I will say, based on the training videos, he does look pretty good. I don't know if he looks top five, top 10 quality, but he looks ready to compete at least. And maybe this might be the swan song. It, it said it could be the, the final year. Uh, so, you know, I guess tennis fans have to enjoy it. If uh, you're sit a Rafa back, fan, sit back, enjoy it while it's still there. Absolutely. And I mm-hmm. hope you've enjoyed this episode. Looking forward to putting out a whole bunch more content in 2024. Our sixth season is the official podcast of tennis Canada. Guys, thanks for listening. <laughs>